You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. I want to talk to you this morning about something completely different. As you know, today is Volunteer Sunday. And we want to look, I want to look at a particular passage that uh, spoke to me. Uh, actually, my wife spoke to me, and then the Holy Spirit brought it to life in me. I want to look at this passage. I read it some time back, and it just really struck me as being a powerful illustration for us. It's called Blood and Water is the name of the message this morning, and it'll make sense when you see it in a few minutes. I want to give you a little bit of context. I'm going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 23. And 2 Samuel chapter 23 records David's last words, King David's last words, and then does a flashback to the events of his life and records those who were his mighty men. It records the guys who fought with David through thick and through thin. These were men who, there was nothing in it for them when they went and joined David. He was at a place called Adulam. Some people call it Adulam, but it's actually Adulam. I like to pronounce things well if you can. Yes, amen. Anyway, he was at a place called Adulam, right? And he's there in this cave and he's hiding. And this records the story of something that happened when he was at the cave of Adulam. This is before he was the king. This is while he was on the run. This is when the, the Israelites were still at war with the Philistines and there was loads of stuff going on for them. And the story picks up. And in it, he begin, they begin to talk about David's mighty men. How many people here have seen the film 300? This is a still from 300. And anyway, just in case you're wondering, gosh, I know all those abs and those pecs. And you know, they don't really look like that in real life, should they don't? Anyway, so you know, I want to talk to you about, it specifically names three of David's mighty men. And the mighty men uh, that, I, that I'm going to look at here, uh, it lists three of the guys specifically. And it lists just one of their achievements. So very briefly, I'm going to read that, okay? So it goes like this. It says, the first of these three mighty men was a guy called Jashobim, the Hakmonite. He was the leader of the three, the three mightiest, mightiest warriors among King David's men. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in one single battle. Jashobim. If your daughter comes home with a boyfriend called Jashobim, get rid of him fast. He's a dangerous fella. This guy wasn't a guy to be trifled with. That was Jashobim. Next in rank of the three was a guy called Eleazar. Once he stood, and he and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled, just the two of them left. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. And the rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. Number three, next in rank was Shammah. One time the Philistines gathered and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. Vegetable rights, man. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field to beat back the Philistines. And so the Lord brought about a great victory. Why am I just using these verses? What I want to paint for you here is a picture, not of a bunch of gentle guys who were doing pottery floor arrangement and considering weaving as a hobby. They weren't off doing Pilates on a Sunday. These guys were warriors. They were men who came and worked and fought with David. There was no messing. These were men's men to their absolute core. They fought. They spilled blood. It cost them not too much thought because they were in it for the cause. 
They were in it for the cause. And in these three lives, you see three ways in which we often, in our spiritual battle as Christians, end up. The first guy, he ends up waging war against the enemy. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we just have to wage war against the enemy. He is your dedicated foe. He's your dedicated enemy. And sometimes we have to wage war against him. The second guy, who, who, who we have Jashubim, and then we have um, Eleazar. Eleazar, he's a guy who takes back plunder. And it's a bit like that sometimes spiritually as well. We're fighting the enemy and we're taking back ground. We're taking back people from the hands of the enemy. Would anybody say amen? We're taking back ground that has been stolen in our lives. We're in there, we're fighting the good fight and taking back ground. And then you get to Shema. And Shema is one of those guys who is a defender. Sometimes brothers and sisters. And this I believe is prophetic for some of you here even this morning. Sometimes you just have to stand your ground. Sometimes you have to stand your ground on what God has said is right. Sometimes you have to stand your ground on what God has said is going to come to pass. Because the enemy will rattle your cage. He'll come after you. He'll chase you, annoy you, whisper in your ears like he's been doing to people since the start of time. Sometimes you just have to stand your ground. Three different types of battles. The picture I'm painting here is of three men who fought for the kingdom, who fought for the cause, who spilled blood without a thought. But then something happens here in Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 23 that records something completely different about these fellas. It actually gets really through to the heart of who they were. You see, all of these battles that they fought against the Philistines and these battles they would have fought against other enemies, all of them could have been said to have been done in their own name. They wanted to be the big guy. They wanted to be the fellow with the sword. They wanted to make their advance. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to do things that would make their names great and make their nation great. But something happens next. Once during the harvest, when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. Doesn't matter, I'll explain it in a second. The three who were among the 30, an elite group of David's fighting men went down to meet him there. David was staying in the stronghold, that is, cave of Adullam, at the time. And a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the town in which David was born and brought up. It was his home town. And there's nothing quite like your hometown to stir the hackles of your heart. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. And so the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. No. You think, okay, so they're up on the hill and they're going, if I could only go down to McCurtain Street and I could, I could get some water, I'd love some of that water. And let's say, come on, let's go and get the king some water. It wasn't like that. Bethlehem from Adullam was 20 kilometers. So they had to set off through hostile territory to get a drink of water for their king. Water. It wasn't like they were going in to slaughter loads of Philistines and take back loads of land or overtake the town. It was for water. Some of us here, me included sometimes, would be slow to go to Spar next door to get a bottle of water. Never mind, say, 20 kilometers in the face of enemies who wanted to stab you, kill you, and fill you full of spears and arrows. 
And yet these men hear this and it says this when it says, but he refused to drink it. David refuses to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. And so David did not drink it. We're talking about a different level of commitment from these guys here. You see, we can do lots of things. You take take a random example of working in the church. You can do lots of good things in the church to keep Pastor Tom happy. You can do lots of things in the church to keep Pastor Mike happy. You can do things to keep our volunteer coordinator, Carol, happy. You can do things to help the people around you and keep them happy. But what we see in these guys here is just a different level of dedication. What you see in in these guys is that they would do anything to keep their king happy. Now, who is the king of the Christian church? Jesus. Four people know that. Jesus is the king. And David in the Old Testament is what they call a type of Jesus. He is a antecedent. He is, a, he is a before Jesus. He's, Jesus is one of David's actual descendants from his family line. And he's a type for Jesus. And the dedication of these men in this situation shows that their hearts weren't just for the cause. Their hearts were for their king. That's where their hearts were. Their hearts were actually there to please David. They took on swords and spears and arrows and enemy and sharp blades and lots of Philistines with iron weapons and they didn't have iron weapons to get him a drink of water. I don't know that I would have done it. I don't know that I would have said, yeah, I think I'll go 20 kilometers, fight my way through the lines, risk my life and limb and bring back Water? It shows that these guys were incredibly dedicated to serving their king. See, when when Jesus, my mistake and this deliberate, when David said, oh, I would love a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. That wasn't a command to be obeyed. He wasn't saying, hey, you, go, get me water from the well at Bethlehem. No. It wasn't even a call to service. He didn't say, oh, that somebody would get me a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. It wasn't even a call of service to be honored. Not to be obeyed, not to be honored. It was just a longing expressed. And in loose translation, what these guys' response was, Lord, David, King, your wish is my command. Your wish is a command to me. No husbands. Amen. Do you know how easy and how nice your life would be if you turned to your wife and said, Darling, your wish is my command. Would any of the sisters say amen? Would any of the brothers say amen? Amen. Uh, you don't know the one I'm married to now, in fairness, like. You wouldn't be saying that if you knew what she was going to command me to do or wish, like. 
What if it was Jesus? What if he expressed a wish? Would you take that as a command? You see, people who really love Jesus, people who are really connected to him, they go beyond the standard bit of service. They go beyond their duty. Look at this story from John's Gospel. You are all familiar with it. You've heard it before, but let me remind you of it. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. She didn't do this because Jesus said, Come here, anybody going to put perfume on my feet there, no? Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. He said it, I didn't say it. But Mary wanted to refresh Jesus. Instinctively, she knew his trial and his trouble was coming. She seemed to understand what his own disciples didn't even understand, and that is he was about to go into the valley of his most supreme trial, his death, his crucifixion on the cross, and praise God, his resurrection from the dead. And it says that there was an argument and two, two people gave out about it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were one bunch of people who gave out and said, hey, 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 hey. You can't be spilling around expensive perfume like that. And then some of the disciples said, do you know what, no? That could have been sold. That, that was worth a year's wages. A year's wages poured out on the feet of Jesus. And one of the other gospels says it was poured on his head as well. A year's wages. How's about at Christmas you buy your wife a bottle of expensive perfume? Or your girlfriend, or husband, or girls, you can buy your, I have to get all, see, I have to get all the people groups in. Uh, girls, you can buy your husband a nice aftershave, or children, you can buy your parents some nice. And when they go, oh, that's really nice, Tommy Hilfiger, or whatever you're having yourself, Paco Rabanne, I don't know them at all. And I, can, I know there's, there's a few of them that advertise a bit like this. <laughs> you, you know if somebody's on your television screen doing... They're going to sell you perfume, all right? It's just an illusion. Or someone wrapped in... It doesn't matter. It won't even go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. And then you take it and go, this is so nice. I mean, this must have cost you a fortune. Yes. It cost me 40,000 euros. Imagine spending a year's wages on a present for your wife. Brothers. We start with a week's wages, or even a, maybe a day, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll just don't break, take it down. She spent a year's wages just to refresh Jesus. Her money and her time were nothing to her compared to serving her master. I wish my heart was more like that. The challenge for us there, brothers is what are we willing to give in the service of our master and our king? You see, you wouldn't have gotten from Mary, well, I'm available on Thursday between six and half past. I'll serve in the church then if I'm available. I like to serve the Lord on a Saturday afternoon between two and four. That's the, I can get him into my schedule then. That is not what Mary was like. All of her life belonged to Jesus. 
all of her life. And if you read the Bible correctly, see, some people tell you that 10% of your income belongs to God. I have news for you. Your entire income belongs to God. He gave it to you in the first place. Do you see the time that you are really looking after and monitoring and mastering so well? God doesn't get 10% of your time. He owns all of your time. It all is yours as a gift. But you see, we've become, and I have, and you have, and we're all living in it. We're all swimming in the stream that's telling us that we really need to look after ourselves. You need to watch out for yourself. You need to be sure that you don't overdo it. You need to be careful that you don't get too busy serving God. You need to be sure that, you know, you need to look after your wellness and your well-being and your inner life. And yes, there's a degree of truth in that. But you know what? I think wellness can be, and forgive me for saying this, a bit of a tyranny. And they can say to Christians, your wellness is more important than your service of Jesus, your master. I think that's what it says. I think that's what it says. I love it, Paul. Paul is writing. He's writing to Timothy. It's his last letter. He's writing to his young apprentice. Well, he's young. He's getting a bit older at this stage, but he's writing to Timothy. And he says this about his life. No, you know, somebody said to me recently, Listen, you're overdoing it. You need to take it easy. Just lots of stuff going on in life at the moment. Just life is busy. You're overdoing it. You need to take it easy. You need to slow down. And it just was out of my mouth before I thought. Before I thought, I said, but what about what Paul said? What did Paul say? He said, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. I've poured out my life. I didn't hold some of my life back. I didn't hold the corner in which I'm still the king. I didn't look after my wellness and my well-being. No. I poured out my life. Poured out my life. Will you tell Paul that I'll answer the call in a minute? He poured out his life and he said, I know my death is near. And he wasn't looking after himself or making sure that his health was okay, that his, the, the, the tyranny of wellness wasn't over his life. He was sure, 100% sure, that he had done the right thing, the only thing he could and should do with his life. And when we do that, we are the ones who are blessed. We don't believe that though, do we? Jesus said, it is more blessed to give. So for your next birthday, I want you to give away something instead of getting something. Amen. Because you want to be blessed. Isn't that right? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We're going to be looking at a little bit on Tuesday night. We're going to be looking at the great reversal on Tuesday night. Looking at God's plan for revolution. Jesus' revolutionary teaching about a great reversal coming. But he said it's more blessed to give than receive. And Isaiah, writing many hundred years before Jesus, said this. Sorry, I, I forgot that, but I'll get back to that in the next service. Anyway, with joy, he said, you will drink deeply from the well of salvation. With joy, you will drink deeply. If you give, you will be refreshed. You will draw up from that well of salvation that God has put in your life. You'll draw from it and you will be refreshed. So what does that mean for us on Sunday morning, the 7th? 7th, 7th of October in the year of our Lord, 2018? It means that I, me, and that you are being challenged to say, how much of our lives are we going to hold back from God? And how can we express the giving of our lives to God? Jesus said something simple to his disciples and to those who listened to him. And this is really, really important. He said this. He said, if you give even a cup of cold 
water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Paul says to the Corinthians, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He sees it all. He sees it all. Paul writes to the Romans, and I'm conscious that uh, time is tight because I was held up a while ago. That's okay. <laughs> somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. Like. I learned from the best. Anyway. <laughs> this is what Paul writes to the Romans, Romans chapter 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Why? Because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. I love the last line. This is truly the way to worship him. Because if my hands in the air don't match my hands in the work, there's something missing. If I'm only doing yes, but I'm actually saying no, something's wrong in here. You know, when I say something's wrong, something that needs to be put right. Do you know what I'm saying? There's something out of kilter for the Christian who says, oh, yes, I worship God. But like, uh, do you know what drives me up the wall? Sorry, can I say something that drives me up the wall? Is that okay, Mrs. Burke? Do you know what drives me up the wall? I see this quote all the time, this meme out there on Facebook, and it drives the sweat out through me. I've been reading it for years, and it really gets on my nerves. People writing, Jesus, I love you, but I hate your church. I have bad news for you, buddy. You can't love Jesus and hate his church. You can't do it. It's just not possible. And if people in church get on your nerves, praise God. God's at work in your life. Amen? And if the preacher this morning is getting on your nerves, praise God. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Amen. Put your hands in the air like you don't care. Hallelujah. So what will it be for you? Will your service from the Lord be washed up with water? Or is it going to be in your blood? Is it in your blood? Or will it just wash off like water? Can we stand? I'm going to ask the worship band to come up. We're going to sing a song and we're going to pray. I want to pray this morning that God would change our hearts to being the hearts like David's mighty men. Who would pray that with me? I'm going to pray that this morning. I'm going to pray that God would give us the grace and the energy and the ability to serve him. Not with a bit of who we are, but with all of who we are. Part of that will be expressed in being in the church. Would anybody say amen? amen. Part of that will be. And we'll get to that in a few seconds. We're going to sing the song, Take These Hands. You know the song we sing it before? I'll give you all my life. I'm letting it go, a living sacrifice, no longer my own, the song says. All I am is yours. And when you say that, even if you don't feel it, it is actually true. It is actually true. All of you, all that you are, is Jesus. Paul says you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Let's worship God. Can we close our eyes? Let's worship God. Let's sing. Take these hands. Let's get our hands on. Praise God. Take these hands. I know they're empty, but with you they can be filled with beauty in your perfect plans. 
Take these feet. Take these feet. I know the stumble, but you use the weak. You use a humble soul. Please use me. All I am is yours. I give you all. I give you all my life. I'm letting it go. A living sacrifice. for a second not in front of me not in front of the person next to you but before the Lord Jesus himself if you want to say Lord would you change my heart so that my heart would be like one of David's mighty men so that my heart would be like Paul who said my life has been poured out in my service to Jesus if that's your heart would you raise your hand want to pray we're not going to call you up because we've already been up this morning and we're going to be doing some stuff in a second for some of you here this morning in some degree this is a rallying cry to you it's a rallying cry to you about your priorities I'm going to call it as it is sometimes our priorities are haywire sometimes our priorities focus on us first I can tell you there is no joy when it's me first And maybe you've been lacking joy. And this morning, I believe the Lord wants to say to you, you will be filled with joy as you draw water from the well of salvation. Your joy will be increased and will be renewed when you depend more on God himself. Your strength will be renewed when Jesus is the one who's providing you with the very strength you need to live the life that honors and pleases him. If you need joy this morning, will you raise your hand? Not before me, but before those, before the Lord. I want to pray. Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you have, we were dead and you brought us back to life. Would anyone say amen? We were lost, but you found us. We were blind, but now we see. Lord, we want all of our lives to be your life lived through us. Would anybody say amen? Lord, would you change our hearts this morning? Where we reserve, where we keep a corner, where we have a private property in our hearts and in our souls, Lord, I pray we would open the gates and open the doors to your Holy Spirit this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray that our hands in the air will match our hands in the work. I pray that our hands in the air will match our hands in the work. Lord, as you call us to a deeper life, and a deeper service Lord we know we will be blessed we know that we will be rewarded for even a cup of water Lord I pray this morning for those Lord that our hearts would be renewed and changed our eyes would be opened that we'd fix them on Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith I pray for those this morning who are lacking joy, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would rest upon them this morning, Lord. I pray that his eyes are open to the reality that the joy is gone from my life. I pray that their love for you would be renewed. Their dedication for you would be renewed. Lord, I pray for those people. I pray for all of us that your wish would be our command. Lord, we commit ourselves, not only just a bit of us, we commit all of our time into your hands. Would anybody say? 
We commit all of our lives into your hands. We commit all of our wealth and material goods into your hands. Yeah, we'll try a bit hard on that one, will we? We commit all of our worth into your hands. In Jesus' name. I give you all my life. Let's sing it. I give you all my life. I'm letting it go. A living sacrifice. No longer my own. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. I give you all my life. I give you all my life. I'm letting it go. A living sacrifice. Commit ourselves now into your hands, Lord. Place into our hands what we need to live the life you've called us to live. Renew us with energy. Renew us with vigor. Renew us with joy. That we may know the certainty of your purpose and your plan and your power in our lives. In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's take our seats for one second, lads. We want to take one last thing. Can we give it up for our worship band this morning? God bless you, lads.